welcome to the CMS Real Deal podcast, where we take a step back from the legal nitty-gritty and provide insight into issues affecting the property industry. I'm Danny Drummond-Brassington. I'm joined today by Claire Thomas, fellow real estate partner, and, um, and Giles Barry of FTI Consulting. Hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. Today's podcast is about CMS's most recent thought leadership report, Real Estate Reset offices and purpose beyond the pandemic. Quite an apt um, title and topic for this year, given that everything feels in need of a reset as a result of the global pandemic. Before we get into some of the detail, perhaps it's useful to explore um, what led you to this um, and how you conducted the the research for this. Giles, shall I um, hand over to you? Yes, Danny. Well, um... FTI and Claire and the team at CMS have been working on an annual piece of real estate thought leadership for a few years now. And um, all signs pointed us towards uh, the subject of ESG when we got together in uh, January this year. Um, We were really, really keen to work out attitudes amongst global institutional investors to um, the ESG uh, issue. And then we were overtaken by events as well. Um, the pandemic started to spread throughout the world from February onwards. And by the time we really, really started to firm up on our ideas, it was clear that um, the whole world of real estate was going to literally reset. So we wanted to keep the ESG subject, in particular the S in ESG. The social side of ESG has come to the fore very much. We saw it through Clap for Carers and other things in the springtime. Um, and at the same time, other parts of the of the way we work um, have also begun to reset as well. So it became a very big and invigorating project. And it was really interesting, as Giles said, you know, when we kicked this off, we were in more normal times. And, you know, it was very much, yeah, Giles, we'll, we'll see you in the office to meet next week. And then suddenly we're all getting to know each other's front rooms um, or attic in my case. So a, a real sort of learning curve for all of us. In terms of the methodology that we applied every year, and as Giles said, this is actually, this is year eight of the report that we work together with FTI. We poll real estate professionals and we not only get their general view of the market and the assets that they're particularly interested, but we also got their views on the themes around ESG. But as a comparison to that, we also surveyed over 1,500 senior office occupiers. That was from SMEs to multinationals across Europe and also Singapore. And then finally, as Giles said, we gathered the views of over 500 institutional investors. And again, that was across Europe, Asia and the Middle East. And also we do in-depth interviews with companies such as Times, British Lands, Savills IM. So I think we get a really good cross-section of what the industry is thinking. Absolutely. Um, And that really does come out in the report. So before we get into some of the detail about the office um, aspect of the report, I thought it'd be really good to explore um, some of the survey findings about some of the other asset classes, because obviously you're not just focusing on offices and you're surveying about all asset classes. 
Um, be useful to start with the, the polar opposites. So we have distribution and logistics, which continues its rise, and yet the demise of retail, which I think, again, we can look at the pandemic and say what the impact has had. And what did your survey show about those two polar opposites? This is a trend that I think we've been seeing for, for a number of years now, but it was really magnified this year. And I think that's what we found about the pandemic is it was actually really just accelerating some trends that were probably already gathering momentum. But of course, in the height of lockdown, when we did our survey, the internet had basically overtaken the high street when it came to retailing. So it was no surprise then that 84% of our real estate professionals professionals thought that the most sought after asset class was distribution and logistics. And that had actually increased from 69% the year before. So it was always doing well, but at the moment it seems to be doing really, really well. And as you've alluded to at the other end of the spectrum, we've got retail and it has fallen to an all time low, attracted to just 3% of our um, real estate professionals, and that had fallen from 12% last year. And actually, last year was the first time we actually saw the popularity of retail slightly increase. But of course, that's really changed. And Giles and I worked together on Box Clever a couple of years ago, which is a report that looked at the correlation between those two asset classes, which is on our website. Thanks, Clara. I think um, we're heading into, um, certainly for me personally, probably my first um, online Christmas where I intend to do everything online. Um, and I'm sure that is just going to uh, continue. And the people that haven't, um, haven't done all of their Christmas shopping online, there'll be a lot more people doing that this year. The second most popular um, asset class was the healthcare um, sector. Um, and obviously you looked at that last year in last year's report. Do you see that that is going to be, that's another asset class that has um, gone through this um, rapid change as a result of the pandemic? And is it is it going to continue to be a favourable class? Well, I think it's really interesting. You talk to any developer in London at the moment and they're keen to know about life sciences. Um, it's a bit of a mystery to them at the moment. Um, they're working out how to squeeze laboratories into office spaces, whether they should be building out-of-town campuses. Do they need to be near the big, um, the big universities or teaching hospitals? Um, it's the, um, the part of the property market which is expected to see the most growth in the 2020s. The 2010s would have been tech. Life sciences is what it's all about now. And um, I think we're going to see a, a big clutch of money going into, into life sciences and some, some established office developers working on strategies very, very quickly to try and um, attract the, 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 the global pharma giants into central London. And I think what's really interesting as well is how we've seen a general shift towards alternatives over the years that we've done this survey. You know, when we did our first report almost a decade ago, offices were the most sought after asset class. And actually, for the first time this year, they've fallen out of the top five. And it's all about, as you say, healthcare, PRS, retirement, living. So there has been, I think, a shift in the way the sector has gone. And it's been really fascinating to see that evolve. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, and that sort of is a great segue into offices, as you say, um, seeing a little bit of a decline. And obviously, nobody could have predict predicted at the beginning of 2020 what was in store and how our lives and our working lives are going to change so dramatically. 
if you had said um, in February when you were um, starting to think about this report, oh, we're going to shift an entire law firm and, in fact, any office to people's bedrooms, attics, living rooms, people wouldn't have believed you. And yet we have. Here we are recording the Real Deal podcast from our own homes. So um, is the office dead? Um, I think that's probably the question that has been on the lips of a lot of people and a lot of debate. So let's start with that big, broad question. And, and Giles, what are your views and what, what did the report show? Um, well, the report showed that people would like a mixture of, of home working and, and office working, which which is not a great surprise. I think what's perhaps interesting is how attitudes have changed throughout this year. Um, I think in the springtime, as people understood that uh, Zoom and Teams were viable options, they really, really um, embraced home working. I think um, there's now a big move back towards wanting to get back to the office. Uh, people had a bit of a taste of it when the lockdown was lifted and they really, really enjoyed seeing their colleagues. I think the mood around the winter and being sit stuck at home isn't, isn't great. And one thing that's really interesting is that the office investment market in London has really, really picked up in the last quarter. Uh, there have been some very, very big transactions, um, property shares as well. The, the likes of British Land, Land Securities, Derwent, Great Portland have all risen um, at least 20% in the last month. I think as people are looking through the pandemic and thinking, great that there's a chance of a vaccine, working from home isn't everything it was cracked up to be and that maybe this time next year we'll um, have more of a return to normal, albeit maybe uh, the office will be quieter than it has been maybe on a Friday or a Monday. So that's, it's, if I had to guess, how, how I think it'll play out. So here at CMS, we've been involved in some really interesting office deals. We bought Fleet Place House for an Asian investor in the city, and we acted for a Singaporean REIT who bought CPPIB share of Landsex Nova. So there really are some big deals going on. And I, I did get a taste of being back in the office after the first lockdown. And I think it actually reminds you of what you miss about it most when you get to spend some time with your colleagues. And there's just absolutely a, an energy that you can't replicate on Teams or Zoom. And I think that also came through in the survey and very much our occupiers favoured a blended approach with perhaps some time at home, some time at work. And whilst that was perhaps felt to be the best combination for creativity and productivity. It was really interesting that when it comes to human connection and integration with colleagues, it was acknowledged that nothing beats being in the office. So I think the conclusion that we reached was far from being the end of the office. It would probably just be the start of a slightly different office. But that, of course, is something that we've been seeing for a few years now. And three years ago, we did the report Smart, Healthy, Agile, which looked at the way that we worked was changing and talked a lot about the experiential office and the impact on our health and well-being. And it's quite interesting. You, you, you made reference to that at the beginning, Claire, about this sort of um, catalytic effect that the pandemic has had and how it has accelerated change quicker than perhaps was happening. Um, and certainly some of the themes that you explored in the Smart, Healthy, Agile, um, we've, we're seeing come to the fore now. Do you think that the office market will become sort of almost two-tiered, um, perhaps again in, in reaction to the pandemic, as people want to uh, ensure that 
any office that they're going into is safe or is you know, perhaps touch-free access. You don't have to even press any buttons in the lift. And that that will drive a different investment into offices or you'll see a two-tier um, office market. I just welcome your views. If I just pick up first then, because we did actually ask a question around that in the survey of both the occupiers and the real estate professionals. And we asked what will you know, what do you want the office to look like when this pandemic is over? And certainly there was more cleaning of properties, more health security, temperature checks. But I think the more lasting things were a greater focus on mental well-being. That was 39% of occupiers wanted that and 49% of the industry expected it. And again, a similar number on the increased focus on well-being, um, sorry, physical well-being. And also what was interesting as well was an expectation that there would be a reduced density of occupation of offices. So maybe we'll move from, you know, rather than packing everyone into sort of open plan spaces, just thinking a bit more about how we use that space and more about sort of the breakout and the hub space. And I think that goes to how people come into the office as well. So um, if we're seeing people in for two, three, four days a week, they, we may see more staggered systems. So um, an office is never as full as it, as it might have been at the height of the week, but has a more of a, an even spread of people um, throughout the week. Certainly, I think the modern prime office will always be in demand, albeit with more collaboration and breakout space. But for the secondhand, um, the secondhand or older building with tight stairwells, old lifts, no air conditioning, um, you know, you've got to think that maybe that will be turned into other uses. And picking up on that and different working practices, we also asked our occupiers how they expected to work in 2021. And in England and Wales, 41% of them said that they would work from home more. So I think that is absolutely a trend that will set to continue. But 30% of them also said that they would use the office more as a hub to meet colleagues. So I think it is all about, you know, attracting people back to the office with really great space. And do you think we're going to then see the rise of more flexible office providers and um, obviously it was um well publicized that we work had some troubles in 2019 and I think there was a big question mark what the pandemic would do but it seems to be that as we emerge from from the pandemic um companies are looking at more flexible offerings so that they can um increase capacity or decrease capacity as as needed um, what what are the thoughts there um, I think it's really interesting, Danielle. You know, I certainly think big corporates want to have a level of flex. So you could see uh, a big leasing deal happening with the, the, the ability to flex in or out of, say, 100,000 feet on top of that as well. Um, and I, I saw that uh, WeWork was saying that uh, more than half of their occupiers now are companies of more than 500 people. That's great. The downside is that um, I know... Uh, companies with lots of occupiers on flexible leases, smaller companies, etc., have really, really struggled because those uh, one-man bands or little companies are really, really finding the lockdown very, very hard. So the the, the big end of flexible working is uh, or flexible leasing is is good, but the smaller SME end, I think, is very, very hard. And again, Danny, that's really just picking up on the trend that we were looking at when we talked about smart, healthy, agile of a move towards 
more flexible offices, but also more flexible lease terms and, and just a slightly different relationship between landlord and tenants when very much more of a partnership with customers and clients rather than the traditional sense. We've talked quite a bit about London, um, but let's talk about the regional impact and what the your survey showed about the regions. Um, do we expect there to be differences? Do regions remain popular? I know in the previous years of your survey, Manchester has been um, uh, a great um, location for investment. But but what, what does this year's survey show? Interestingly, Manchester had fallen back a little bit. Last year, it was at 65%. This year, still out front, but fallen back to 49%. We still had Birmingham, Bristol come in next. So no real jumps up in demand for the regions. But maybe what was more interesting, perhaps contributing to that, was for the first um, time, London seems to be having a perception that it's fairly valued. So I don't know whether that's attracting more people to think about London again. I think the other thing is that um, the term hub and spoke has started to be used more than ever before. Standard Chartered, the big bank, um, has said that they are looking at an approach like this. Um, it could be that um, Manchester, Birmingham, regions begin to thrive as the spokes in a hub coming out from London. Um, you know, other people like BT and the like have tried this um, in, in years before, and, it's, and it only really applies to big, big, big corporates. But that, that could be something we see more of, where less people are crammed onto transport in London, more people are moving out of London, not to change the companies they work for, but to move from the hub to the spoke of those companies. And also to uh, manage that commute. And that was one thing that came out of your report, wasn't it? It's the commute that is the is the um, the negative aspect of the office as opposed to the positives of the social. And I think we're going to see more and more people look to manage that commute. And you know, I personally, I don't have a huge commute, but one thing that the pandemic has allowed is to, to save that squeezing onto a tube every morning. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there thinking exactly the same. Although there are a few people as well who find that commute as the, the signal of the end of the day and they get to leave the office behind, unwind, possibly not on the tube, but depending on your form of transport and then start your sort of home life. And maybe working from home has meant it's all a little bit blurred. Yeah. And I think isn't the phrase sort of not working from home, but living at work because you're not quite sure when to when to stop working because you're there all the time. So, yeah, I think it's a different experiences. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's that's one of the challenges as we go forward and look at what does the work and the office mean to people and how do you. Um, manage that flexibility in a bit more home life with putting up the um, the barriers and and turning off at the end of the day. The other interesting thing I'd say, Daniel, is during um, FTI Consulting's period back at work, we never really got more than about 30% full over, say, July and August. But I'd say the average age of the people in there during that time was way lower than our, our general average. And it was um, nearly all young people in shared flats or shared accommodation who had found um, the whole concept of working at home very, very difficult. Also, um, the sociable side, you know, lots of people where I work really, really get on well. Their friends are at work. A lot of their social life is based on work. 
that's just not for them, uh, the whole idea of sitting at home all day, every day. And I think lots and lots of young people starting out in work or in their 20s would turn down flat the idea of permanently working from home. It's just it's just no point for them. And I, I, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that is emerging from this sort of working from home aspect of the pandemic is how do you um how do you train juniors to come through they, that 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 learning by osmosis that happens in the office how do you replicate that in a virtual world is it even possible to replicate that in a virtual world i think those are the challenges that we face um if there is this hybrid working going forward yeah danny we're certainly seeing that in terms of just our trainees and our newly qualified lawyers we want to give them learning opportunities from other people within the office particularly in real estate which is very people focused and you know you hear things about the market and you, you you just learn and being at home you just don't get the chance to do that i was going to ask you um to sort of almost by way of conclusion what um your thoughts are for the office market as we go into 2021 we've obviously had the very positive news in, in the last couple of weeks about a potential vaccine there seems to be more optimism i mean your report showed quite promising levels of optimism compared to post brexit in 2016 so I can only imagine that, given you surveyed in the summer, that optimism will be growing. But what do you think is in store for the office market in 2021? It's really difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, things change from week to week to week. I do think that if there's a, if there's a, a vaccine becomes uh, fully available in the first quarter of next year, then we'll see offices filling up again during the from the summer onwards. And that leads to more confidence in offices as, as an investment prospect. Having said that, there have been so many twists and turns along this road. We can't be sure, can we? And I think one thing I would add, and, and Danny, it leads to, I guess, the second part of the report that we did, which was looking at sustainability and the social aspects. I think the office will be different. People want to work in sustainable buildings. As Giles said, we've had a real opportunity to think about social value and purpose in our home lives. And I think we're going to want to see that in our office and work lives as well. So I definitely think that we will see an evolution and an even greater emphasis on ESG issues. Well, thank you both for joining me today on the podcast. Um, great to hear your views on the office and discussion of the report. Um, we're going to be doing a second podcast on the ESG part of that. And so to all of our listeners, um, we hope you can join us for that. Thanks, Claire. And thanks, Giles, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.